This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. What do you do when you have a philosophical, hashkafic, or educational vision which is fundamentally dissimilar from that of everybody in the establishment? If you're Rabbi Akiva Weisinger of Misfit Torah, you create your own new institutions in order to teach. Rabbi Weisinger, Akiva, is a student of mine who was in my yeshiva about nine years ago, and since then, he has really made a name for himself as an educational innovator. He created a Facebook group called God Save Us From Your Opinion, which has over 19,000 members. He started it off, as we'll see in a moment, for a couple of friends, and it simply exploded. Since then, he's done other interesting educational initiatives, and he's really developing a name for himself as somebody with a unique take on things, a different way of looking at things philosophically, a different way of doing things educationally, somebody who charts his own path and wants other people to join him. I was very excited to speak with Akiva today. He's doing things that are very interesting in the Orthodox community, trying to tear down barriers, trying to stay outside of the box, and he wants to bring other people along with him for the ride. Here's my interview with Akiva. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, Akiva, it's an interesting situation that you have. We're talking about somebody who, and I don't mean to flatter you, but frankly, is obviously a deep thinker, a serious intellectual when it comes to both Jewish thought and Jewish education. You've started your own situations. You've created your own educational frameworks more than once already. So let's talk about that just a little bit. I want to go back to something which you created, which I believe has 19,000 followers, and it's a Facebook group called God Save Us From Your Opinion. Why did you start that, and what was your intention in doing so? My intention for doing so was to serve as a sort of think tank for, uh, you know, me and a couple of friends to, you know, bounce ideas off of each other and... Uh, like 18,990 friends. That's what you're talking about. Uh, no. Oh. It was it was just going to be like, I figured we would get like 250 people tops. We eclipsed that in like the first week. Well, you know, before we get into that, first tell me what it is. What exactly is God Save Us? So it's a Facebook group for a discussion of Judaism and Jewish sources. Pretty simple in terms of that. I basically made it because there are a lot of interesting discussions going on, and I wanted to have a place where a bunch of people who wouldn't otherwise meet each other would have a place to meet each other and to discuss, you know, topics of interest and, you know, important topics. And again, it was supposed to be like a small think tank of like, you know, me and a couple of friends that I connected with and all that. And then it started growing and growing and growing. Um, we got to like a thousand members within a couple of months, I think. And then about a year after it was started, uh, one of our members wrote an article about us for tablet magazine. I remember that article. 3000 members to 6,000 members overnight. All this time, were you the sole moderator? I was the sole moderator up until like 600 members. And then I realized there was no chance of me being able to do that. So I started bringing on friends and then, you know, bringing on people who I'd never met, but just seemed the right kind of people to do that. And people who were like uh, into the uh, discussion aspects and people who seemed level-headed. We also focused a lot of our attention on trying to uh, have different groups re- represented. What do you mean by different groups? Do you mean Orthodox conservative reform or groups within Orthodoxy? 
roots within orthodoxy at the beginning. Now we've sort of tried, especially post-tablet, we've tried to branch out, but definitely to have have female representation on the mod team was a big point for us and trying to get a number of different viewpoints because it started off as like most of modern orthodox and then it you know got big and had different viewpoints having a you know more ultra orthodox now, now wait uh, let, let's talk about when you say different viewpoints what kinds of viewpoints are being represented isn't it a question answer forum rather than a place where people are giving answers to problems meaning aren't people on the forum asking questions more than presenting their lines of thought at the beginning, it was very much like me posting like a link to an article and thoughts. That got annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we instituted a rule that you have to have a discussion prompt. In other words, part of our ethic is that uh, you have to be able to be willing to listen to other people. And by mm-hmm. asking a question to the group, you are asking for input. We don't like it when people come preaching to the group, come like, you know, this is what I want to say. And, you know, this is you all should listen to me. It's not a venue for pontificating. Yeah, it's not. We, we try not to make it a venue for pontificating. So I'm out. At, you know. least, at least in the posts, the comments, eh, some some people will do that. But um, we want people to genuinely open themselves up for discussion. You see, Kiva, what's very interesting to me is the fact that now with 19,000 members, obviously you opened some sort of Pandora's box. There was a need in the religious community for this kind of discussion. Something obviously was not being met. So what do you think that was? What was lacking in the existing structures that this just caught on fire like this? I noticed early on we were filling a need for a lot of people that had gone unaddressed. And there were many people, you know, some of our best moderators, in fact, who were attracted to the group because it was a Jewish community that they couldn't find in their normal lives. Why is it not able to be found in their normal lives? Like what sort of place is missing? What would you call so that? It's, it's tough to define exactly. I would say a place where it wasn't like fitting a specific mold. A lot of places like to have like a box where everything gets molded into. My ethic throughout my life has been not fitting into a box. Um, you don't say. Just ask any of my teachers, of which you are one, actually. Yeah, I'm shocked it, you it say gets, you don't fit into a box, Akiva. That's the first I've ever heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Growing up, I actually made a a club called the Jewish Philosophy Club, which I started because I thought that there were a lot of philosophical questions from kids that were getting unaddressed. And they weren't being taken seriously with their questions because of, you know, the classes that they were in. So I wanted to take a club, make a club in order to answer those questions. Let's bring it back to you then, because that actually, in terms of what Chinuch is and what education is, you obviously, as a mechanic, are somebody who cares about those people, let's call them the dispossessed of the Orthodox educational community, if that's a fair term. But yeah. I, I want to ask about your goal. You started, again, this God Save Us, but eventually you pulled back from it. Is that right? Uh, a little bit, just because, you know, I got a job for a brief period of time, so that involved me taking a little bit of leave of it. Also, just to say, stay sane, because it's a lot of work and a lot of, you know, emotional investment. Uh, particularly for me, because I'm the you know creator and founder, and I've got a lot emotionally invested in you know how the group runs, and sometimes it's easier for me to take a step back 
You've actually started something new, though. In other words, despite the fact that you took at least a half step back from God Save Us, you've now started a new program called Misfit Torah. Can you tell us what that's all about? Up until this point with God Save Us, I was into like fostering discussions and user-generated content, I suppose the term is. Um, and now I've got a good lay of the land in terms of what people are missing in their in their Jewish education, which is, you know, to answer the original question, somebody who actually talks to the people they are and, you know, where they're at and the somebody who's, you know, one of the things we wanted was like a lighthearted tone a little bit sometimes. The way that people interact with a lot of their culture is, you know, Torah should be fun. Torah should be, you know, something that they could get themselves into. So I've got a good lay of the land in terms of that. And I thought that I would start a venture of some sort. At this point, it's just a podcast by me uh, where I go through the biblical commentators and telling them, telling you who are these people and what do they do. Right. But my goal is eventually to have a whole network of podcasts by misfits as I call them. Define that word. What do you mean by misfits when it comes to educators? There are a lot of people out there who are extremely knowledgeable and have a lot to to give to the Jewish people and have what to contribute, but they're out of the box. They're they're misfits. They don't fit into like one denomination or one, you know, school of uh, thought or, you know, for reasons entirely unrelated to them are the people kind of people who who you know a school or a institution wouldn't take a chance on whether for their views or their ideologies or their identity in a lot of these cases there are people out there who have what to contribute to the Jewish people but aren't getting a chance because institutions are risk averse and dependent on you know large donors who dictate a lot and i want to get those people a platform and I want that to be, to the extent that is possible, self-funded. My goal is for it to get to the point where the misfits, as I put them, don't have to be beholden to any institution, don't have to be beholden to like any place that you know wants to fit them into a box. And they're allowed to be outside the box, and they can appeal directly to an audience. So I want to get back to that in just a moment. I do want to hear about how you plan to self-fund it. I think that's a very important point. But before we get there, I want to challenge you on one point you make, which is fair enough, and I don't deny it. You know very well, I've been involved in education and educational institutions too, and I certainly respect what you say when you say that organizations and schools, et cetera, are risk averse. And the reason may very well be because donors will not be happy with taking risks of sorts. That's certainly true to an extent, but isn't part of it also that we're talking about kids or even adults, and perhaps it's not risk averse in the sense of money, but risk averse in this is my kid's education. And if I am going to educate him, I have one chance for this kid to be in fourth grade or 12th grade or yeshiva after high school or whatever it is. I don't want to take a chance on some funky approach. I'd rather he learned Gemara and Rambam and whatever else I might want to teach him in a traditional way. Isn't that possibly a defense of the institutionalized systems that we have? I think it's a bigger risk not to do that. In other words, right now, the way that the education works, the system works is that we're teaching to, I don't know what percentage we're teaching to, but we're teaching to people who fit inside a box already. We're preaching mostly to the choir. And there are a lot of people who are left in the margins who 
my experience has been they aren't religious after a certain point. With some of my closest friends I went to high school with, they didn't see the religion as speaking to them. They didn't see the, you know, where they fit in. And they're not religious anymore. I'm still in touch with them. They're still great people. But we're losing out on a lot of people who have what to contribute simply because we're going through going to a one-size-fits-all approach. And to argue that it's more of a risk to not teach these kids is basically saying, to, to me at least, and I guarantee you to those people, this is the message that we're get, they're getting is – we don't care about you as long as the people that are easiest to teach are being taught. Uh, and that's not the point of education. The point of education is not to teach the kids who are already good at stuff. It's to teach the kids who aren't to get them with the program. Now, Akiva, when you say outside the box, at the same time, within Orthodox Judaism, or I'll even call it normative Orthodox Judaism, standard modern Orthodox Judaism, call it what you will, there is such a thing as a box. There are people who might be outside the box, but let's say it's even more almost like one of those Russian dolls. There are multiple boxes. You might have the innermost box, but are you saying there's no box whatsoever, anything goes? Or is there some outer limit where you say, look, I want to teach people who are outside the box, or maybe I want to allow teachers who are outside the box to have a platform, but you're so far outside the box, I'm not sure that's even Judaism anymore, or I'm not sure that's Orthodox Judaism, or call it what you will. So while I respect what you're saying about not putting on labels, you know that's a big idea of my own. That's something which I celebrate. At the same time, how far do you think you should take it? So going into this, I'm of the opinion that I don't care what denomination or what you know, you identify with, if the Torah is good, then I want to give you a platform. Now, this calls into question what my definition of good Torah is, and really comes down to what I find interesting. And if you're doing something interesting, then, you know, whether you're orthodox or not, I want to give you a platform as long as you're putting out something, putting out something that is compelling and interesting and good Torah. When it comes to these questions about like inter, uh, you know, between denominations and whether it's orthodox or not or whatever, I like to say, you know, I go back to the text. If you can teach the text, if you can understand the text, I don't care who you are, what shul you go to, what you identify as. If it's good Torah, it's good Torah. And if that means that I'm going to have people on who are, you know not within the box of, you know, orthodoxy. That's just one of the things that we'll have to do. Now, if somebody is saying that the Torah is telling us that we need to, you know, sacrifice our children to Moloch, that would be... That's definitely outside the box. That's definitely outside the box, but that would be a red line, not because it's like we can't have heresy. It's more like that is not a compelling read of the sources. I mean... I would like to see what somebody could come up with in order to prove that, but <laughs> probably not on a platform I'm giving them. For you, you're discussing, or we've really been talking about, outside the box in a philosophical sense, a hashkafic sense. How about in terms of educational methodology? I know that's something which you and I care about a lot. Do you also want to look for different ways of teaching in addition to teaching different types of things or different approaches to specific texts? Yeah, whatever works. One of the things that I want to do by getting away from like institutions and, uh, you know, go, cutting out the middleman is just being able to, to evaluate things on whether they work or not. 
if you have a new educational approach and it's showing success, whether it's, you know, a different way of teaching the text or whether it's just being informal, which is sort of my style at this point in my life is just being pretty informal, but also very passionate. If I find you interesting, then, you know, I want to bring you on. Well, so as you know, back in uh, the yeshiva that you attended, that Rabbi Pesach Wolaki and I founded Yisodia Torah, one of our educational mottos was essentially, we had a specific way of doing things. We had our theory of the right way to teach, but we said, hey, if something else works, go ahead and do it. The method is not sacrosanct. What's sacrosanct is making sure that the information or the skills that are trying to be taught are indeed imparted properly. Whatever works, works, as long as that's the attitude. To use an example that I know that you would appreciate as well as Rev. Wilicki, for a pitcher in baseball, it doesn't matter whether you're like throwing, you know, a 95 mile per hour fastball or like throwing, you know, mostly curveballs or, you know, doing whatever. If you're getting batters out, if you're, you know, striking out guys, your peripherals are good. This is very nerdy baseball talk. I apologize for those of you who No, are we're not. good. We're good. Then, you know, it works regardless of whether you fit the mold or not. And want to get back to a sort of, I guess, institution or venture or whatever, whatever this is, I haven't really figured it out yet, but whatever this is, I want to just get back to like not having to deal with all the other stuff. If things work, they work. If you're saying good Torah, it's good Torah. If you're reading the sources right, you're reading the sources right. Uh, if you have compelling stuff on the sources and your yeshiva was a big influence on me on that, in that regard of Yesode's mission was we want to give you the tools to read the text. If you could read the text and you could prove what you're saying in the text, then that's cool. Do you have any goal one day? And I, I realize we're speaking off into the future as we come to the conclusion of the podcast. Do, would you like what you're doing to become the establishment, or do you like the idea of Akiva Weisinger sort of staying outside, doing your own thing, and acting as a sort of counterbalance to whatever's going on inside the box? That's an interesting question. My gut says the second option. I never want to be, you know, held down to, you know, an establishment. I always want to be like outside the box, and I don't think I'm going to have a choice in that regard. But you know. There's something interesting about, uh, you know, whether this is a good thing uh, for me to, to, to value or not. Maybe at some point it's, you know, wiser for me to, like, work within the system. But there are a lot of people who are out there who have Torah that needs to be taught to, like, some people. And I want to help those people get their audiences. I you know, there's a lot of talk, you know, in some institutions about like being a leader or whatever. I've always hated that. I want to be a facilitator, not a leader. I want to, whenever possible, give other people platforms. You know, Akiva, I have to say, to use an example that you will respect in the same way you used one about pitching that you knew I would respect, Lauren Michaels in 1975 in founding Saturday Night Live wanted to be a facilitator for new talent. And they were specifically creating this show, Saturday Night Live, with the goal of having people see it as, oh, the suits who run the network went home for the night and a bunch of kids took over. But of course, yeah. now, 40-something years later, those kids who took over the network are the definers of what comedy is today. So who knows what the future holds? It could be the people who are on the outside become the box. If we become like a very big establishment and I could you know, live well off of that and you know, leave a, lead a nice, comfortable, fulfilling life... I don't think I would complain. Uh, <laughs> Few do. 
I wouldn't complain in that situation, but I like the idea of finding things that nobody cared to look in, which is why I like fantasy baseball so much. I like finding like the sleepers and the diamonds in the rough, so to speak. And the thrill of hearing something amazing from somebody who, whether it was from my sheltered Orthodox upbringing or not, totally blows you out of the water with something you didn't expect. That's awesome. And I wouldn't want to, you know, dull those senses over time of fighting for the little guy uh, or fighting for the disadvantaged and, you know, the people who want that platform. And I've told people, like, if you ever see me selling out, just just go over and slap me. Like (laughs) the greater mission, I guess, is like having a rabbinic or, you know, Jewish leadership that is actually responsive to the people that they, you know, are preaching to. If I'm ever at a point where we're insulated from the public and insulated from the audience, then that would be a time to rethink. Speaking of of selling out, and I say that tongue in cheek, how do you plan on making money through this venture? Right now, how is it working as a a, a money-making venture? So right now, Um, We have a Patreon account set up where you could sign up for, you know, minimum $5 per month. And the goal there is not just to sell like a podcast or, you know, a specific, you know, content. You're paying dues to a wider Jewish community uh, and ensuring a Jewish leadership that is finding Torah in places that you want Torah to be found and, you know, not overlooking people just because of external factors and, you know, somewhat responsive to the people it it claims to serve. And, you know, with that, I think $5 per month is like a reasonable price to pay for ensuring the, the, the existence of an independent Jewish leadership. So that's what we've got going on now. As we begin to figure out I want to have a podcast where I just bring on interesting people and talk to them and, you know, give them a little bit of a platform. And hopefully we can branch out to them having podcasts and eventually want to have a website, which will be, you know, fun, informal, but, you know, very passionate about Judaism. Then we might have advertising. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Well, Akiva, I have to tell you, I think that the way you're going right now in terms of the direction of trying to create an independent rabbinic and Jewish leadership that's not beholden to the typical forces that are in charge, I think that's terrific. The fact that you really are working outside the box, as you put it, and correctly put it, I'll tell our listeners right now, to me, this sounds like a tremendous opportunity for the Jewish world. And I highly suggest that our listeners jump on board because Akiva Weisinger, Rabbi Akiva Weisinger, is going to really move things in the Jewish world in a fascinating direction, both because he has such interesting Torah to give, as well as because he has this amazing way of doing so and such an interesting stance in terms of working differently from other people, trying to find a place for people who don't have a voice yet. So I just want to congratulate you on the new venture. I know it's just started. I think you've released only two podcasts so far, right? Two episodes of a podcast on biblical commentators. It's the, the podcast is entitled, Who the Heck is That Guy? 
because sometimes you look at the commentaries and you're a clinician, you're like, who the heck is that guy? And I want to give you, you know, understanding of what they do and who they were and fun facts about their personality. We've got Eben Ezra coming up in the uh, next uh, two podcasts from now. Ah. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. Just want to give you like a sense and, you know, present it in my, you know, informal rambling style. And I would tell everyone who's listening, go to it. Nikiva, how can they reach you? How do they get to Misfit Torah? Where is it? Our Patreon account is uh, patreon.com slash Misfit Torah. Mm-hmm. We have a podcast thing that publishes to a bunch of other, you know, podcasting, uh, you know, publishing services. So odds are if you search on your favorite podcast service for Misfit Torah uh, or Akiva Weisinger, you would find me. Do you have a Facebook page? Yeah, we have a Facebook page, which we plan on like both letting people know uh, of new podcasts and also having discussion sparked about uh, from those podcasts and like to lead into podcasts. Today, I asked a question as a lead into a Rosh Bomb podcast. What is the value of creativity in Judaism, which has to do with the Rosh Bomb? And you'll find out how. All right. Well, Akiva. Thank you very much for being with me today on the Orthodox Conundrum. Once again, the best of luck. I think this is a great initiative, and our listeners should go there and enjoy it and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much. I'm Scott Kahn, and this has been the Orthodox Conundrum on the JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcast network. And this week on Jewish Coffee House, you can find all sorts of new episodes. We have a new episode of David's Evan Israel with former ambassador to the United States and former deputy foreign minister, Danny Ayalone, and Jeremy Salton who's from the Bayou D party. David talks to them. And important note, next week, our official launch of David's Evan Israel is coming. That's on Wednesday, July 4th. So make sure you tune in. Make sure you get ready to subscribe, rate, and review. We have a new Chochmat Nashim out this week where Shoshana, Anne, and Rachel talk about the recent situation, I'll call it, on an El Al flight where a man refused to sit next to a woman and the flight was delayed for over an hour and the various repercussions of that. A new cup of salvation dealing with paganism is coming out in the next day. We also have a new Real Relationships coming out dealing with establishing trust. That's on Real Relationships with Mickey and Molly. Along with that, we also have my regular podcast, the Maimonides Minute. We're dealing with Hilchot Tefillah and Kriyat Torah. Next week, we're getting to our special episode number 300. I'm excited about that. Please, everybody, like us on Facebook. Look for Jewish Coffee House. And I'd be especially appreciative if you would follow me on Twitter at Jewish Coffee H. Again, at Jewish Coffee H. Twitter's a place where I can tell you about the new podcast coming out and talk about whatever I feel like talking about. And that's a pleasure and a joy for everybody who has the opportunity to listen to me talk about whatever is on my mind. Or maybe not. Anyway, thank you for listening. Once again, I thank Akiva. Go to Misfit Torah and continue listening to the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. <laughs>